This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey guys, quick thing. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Mook Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Mook Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Mook Delivery. So the only question left to say is... Are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the Guna Talk. Back again with you guys for another episode of what is the Arsenal Transfer Show. Joining you every morning at 8 a.m. UK time. Hope you're doing good. Hope you're doing well. Thank you as always for joining me and making this a part of your morning routines. It is very much appreciated. I hope that you've had a fantastic start to your week. I hope that Monday treated you well and that you're ready to hear uh, what is going on in the world of Arsenal. And to have a discussion and chat in our chat box, or if you're listening on Catch Up, of course, on audio or on YouTube, in our comment sections as well. Thank you for doing so. Drop a like, subscribe, all those lovely, dovely things. Lovely, dovely. It's definitely not the way it's. It's lovely, lovely, dove. Lovey jubbly. That's lovely jubbly. That's that's what I was going for. Uh, good morning, Dave, in the chat box. Good morning to Penny Ween, to Barry, to Steve. Good morning to Carl, Steve, Francois, Jose, Martin, Trevor. Um, and it is, I believe, a certain Penny Ween's birthday today. So happy birthday, Penny Ween. I hope you had a fantastic day, my friends. And uh, yeah, enjoy yourselves. I hope that you get out of Medway because... Midway is no place to celebrate a birthday, is it? Corrida, uh, Kevin, Martin, David, Carlton, uh, Trevor, James, Tom, morning to you guys. Thank you, everybody else as well, for tuning in. It's very much appreciated as well. Uh, it's also someone called Josh, unless that is Peeny Ween, <laughs> and he just revealed his real name. Otherwise, good, uh, happy birthday to, to, to Josh and to Peeny Ween also. Um, there you go. Lovely stuff. Uh, let's go into our stories for today. Of course, how this works. If you're new to the channel, we have part one where we go through all of our stories the last 24 hours. Then we go to part two where we take your comments and questions. So we will be doing that in just a second. Uh, Arsenal's transfer targets. Moises Caicedo, of course, as we know, uh, Arsenal haven't actively pursued the player this window. They pursued him significantly in January had a couple of bids rejected and so far this transfer window at least whilst his name has been mentioned uh, amongst players that Arsenal appreciate they've not moved for him however we don't know that Chelsea have been pursuing Moises Caicedo significantly they've had a couple of bids rejected themselves during this summer transfer window however according to Jacob Steinberg of course of the Guardian who joined us on our tactical breakdown of Declan Rice 
he has reported that talks between Chelsea and Brighton have now reached something of what is an impasse. Uh, it doesn't seem, at least not at the moment, that a deal between the two clubs is going to be reached. Brighton are holding out for that £100 million price tag. The same as what West Ham did with Declan Rice. And, uh, you know, we've been we've seen fans criticise Arsenal. Why haven't you done more? Why haven't you just paid the money? If you're a big club, you just get the deal done. Well, based upon this, I suppose Chelsea can't be too big of a club because they're not paying up the money at this moment in time and trying to come to an agreement with Brighton about the player situation. It is, as I've said a number of times, very interesting to see how this develops, how we unpack this story in the coming weeks because... Caicedo has effectively, as far as we've been told, and as, as far as has been reported, has been given and was given when he signed that new contract assurances that he would be allowed an exit. Of course, Brighton wants to get a certain transfer fee for the player. But how this you know develops and evolves over the next couple of weeks or so, and whether or not Arsenal see this situation as an opportunity, I, I doubt it. You know, the, the door, as I'm told, is, is never been fully closed uh, regarding Caicedo and Arsenal. But... Um, it would be very, very difficult for Arsenal, I think, to to move for the player. And we would have to invest, you know, another significant amount of money that we already have done in the player. And I also think with Thomas Partey looking more likely, it seems, to stay, it does mean that a deal for Moises Caicedo would be pretty unlikely. We started with transfers and we're going to move more into the club stuff now. Stan Kroenke uh, has been pictured in LA meeting the Arsenal team ahead of the friendly against Barcelona. Josh Kroenke also pictured uh, with Mikel Arteta. Could there be talks between Arteta and the ownership? You can be sure that a number of meetings will of course take place socially and uh, professionally and uh, who knows maybe Arteta will have to discuss the investment that's still needed what still needs to be spent, what still needs to happen. Um, we'll have to wait and see um, and find out what indeed does go on. So over the next, I suppose, week, maybe we see some uh, some developments from Arteta's potential meetings with Stan Kroenke. Let us know in the comments section what you think Arteta needs to be discussing with the Arsenal owner over the next week or so. Now, Charlie Patino is said to be being tracked by clubs in Spain and Germany ahead of a potential summer exit, according to Chris Wheatley. Reported last month, of course, that Arsenal, uh, due to the unfortunate timing of kind of the midfield of where it's at, were open to facilitating an exit permanently of Charlie Patino. However, also did report a month ago that Arsenal wanted to insert a buyback clause into any deal that would be involving Patino leaving the club. And that is certainly what Chris Wheatley is also reporting now as well uh, regarding the player. So we're still waiting to see what happens with Charlie Patino. Um, I don't think that there is a chance really that he stays this summer. I think that he's really decided to, to set his focus on getting more regular senior football. But at the moment, there is no official bids or move uh, as far as we're aware in place. And we're going to have to wait for any further updates on Charlie's situation. Zinchenko, sadly, is still not in Arsenal training. Uh, Arsenal, of course, uh, conducted their open training session to the media yesterday, and Zinchenko was not spotted with the main group. He was 
taking part in fitness drills um, and just kind of getting himself again up to full fitness and recovering from that issue that he had at the end of last season, which has unfortunately cost him throughout the course of this season. There's been discussions about the friendly that he is due to take place in supporting the Ukrainian cause. And it's been said that Arsenal will only allow him to be involved for around five minutes maximum. Saw those reports going through socials yesterday. If it was me, I wouldn't be letting him play at all. But I suppose, you know, it's obviously a very good cause. Um, and uh, it's it's designed to, to to raise plenty of of due awareness to the cause, and hopefully uh, they've told players basically don't touch Zinchenko if he's on the ball, just let him play, just let him do his little passes, do his little runs, don't tackle him, don't touch him, and uh, <laughs> you know it's as simple as that. Now our headline story. Uh, is that the Athletic reported yesterday that Balogun has been seen training separately um, from the group. And uh, sadly, it seems that this situation continues to to worsen. Uh, it's a real shame that this is the situation of where we find ourselves in right now um, with Balogun. We don't know, in fairness, the reason as to why he is training separately. We can speculate, we can have a guess and Perhaps it has something to do with the potential exit. It is odd that he's training away from the team. He was on the bench against Manchester United, but didn't get a single minute, didn't come off the bench in that game whatsoever. Um, but now training separately from the group, is this to do with a potential exit that's that's expected to happen? Is this to do with a disciplinary issue? We don't know is the honest answer. Mikel Arteta is due to face the media today in a press conference, and you can be sure that he'll be asked the question whether or not he gives an answer is another thing. We do know that when he was asked about Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang's disciplinary issues, he was pretty open in detailing that that was indeed the reason. So we'll see if there's any kind of openness about the reason behind Balogun training separately from the group. Um, there was an answer from Arteta after the game against Man United about why he didn't use Balogun and it was all about kind of loading players with minutes and that other players would get minutes against Barcelona if there's been a bad reaction to that decision. That's not good. You know, despite the fact that I have sympathy for, you know, Balogun, I have sympathy for the idea that I feel as though he has come back from loan and in my view has done enough in comparison to someone like Nketiah to to be given more of an opportunity. But you have to remain professional. You absolutely have to remember that you are not bigger than the football club. You are not above the manager's decision-making. And attitude is a big thing for me, and it's it's a huge thing for Arteta. And if he doesn't feel that the player is showing the right attitude, is saying the right things, is operating in the right way, then action will certainly be taken and has been taken with other players in the past. No matter who you are, you have to respect the principles of the club and the expectations of you as a player in a very privileged position. Arsenal, when they renewed Balogun's contract last time around, they gave him a very, very good contract for a player that has not played all that much senior football at all for the club. To keep him, they have paid him very well. And, you know, I remember that comment that Arteta made in the All or Nothing documentary about Aubameyang where he said the words, when you earn that much money. Um, when he was speaking to Mark Ganella, who's uh, who was head of the communications side of the things at the club and has now left. Um, when that happened, I think there was maybe some parallels in this sense as well. If there is indeed a disciplinary issue, and this is the assumption right now, you know, this is purely an assumption that we're talking about, 
but uh, hopefully it's not that and hopefully it's nothing to do with a disciplinary thing at all but these types of things do raise up those question marks of course as well so let's wait and see what happens with Balogun uh, but we hopefully will get some answers in Mikel Arteta's press conference a little bit later on today right let's move to part two then and your questions right after this hey I'm Ryan Reynolds at Mint Mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot we charge you a little so naturally when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you that's right we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. And the same goes at McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with Mook Delivery. Are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Now, the 25th of the month is a, is a good day here in the UK for a lot of people because it means it's payday. And payday, of course, is always a good thing. Uh, I, just, I just enjoy it when payday rolls around. I hope that you do too. And if you are looking to invest a, a tiny little portion of that payday package into anything, I would encourage you to get your tickets for our live event uh, that is going to be taking place on August the 13th, uh, Sunday, August 13th at the Mildmay Club in Newington Green in London. Um, you can get your tickets, £22. You can join myself, Harry Simeu, FK, Mike Feinberg and Bailey Keogh for a live podcast. You can meet plenty uh, of the people that you've been chatting to in the chat boxes. I know there are lots of people excited to meet one another for the very first time. It's going to be a great day. It's going to be a great evening, a great load of football chats and fun and games as well and some Q&A also. So very much uh, looking forward to seeing so many of you there. And uh, yeah, link is down in today's video description. It's also in the pinned tweet on my Twitter page as well, uh, or it's on the bio of my Instagram page as well. If you go to the link section of my bio on Instagram on at the Guna Talk. So go over there and you can find all the stuff that you need to be able to get yourself some tickets. Right then. Let's go into the chat box. Let's tackle some of these questions and uh, see what you guys are chatting about. Dave says, do we think that a Rice, Havertz and Odegaard midfield is too light slash attack minded and we need Partey slash Jorginho in there instead to replace the steel that Granite Xhaka provided? I think, Dave, it depends on the opponent. I think in some games you can play Havertz and I think in some games you play Partey. I think that you can play a combination of different players in certain fixtures and I'd like to see Rice and Partey play together. I think Partey would be kind of, you know, the deeper. Then you play Rice to the left, slightly ahead, but not as much in the Xhaka role. I think he would still be a bit more reserved than what Xhaka was. It's a very different style of player playing in that position. So I think it depends upon the opposition of who you come up against, Dave, as to who you play in those games. Um, Bradley says, Tom, have you confirmed that you're going to be at the Emirates next Wednesday? I'm very much hoping to be. Uh, I'm very much hoping to be there. Uh, it's not confirmed yet, but I'm very much hoping Bradley to be there. So, uh, yeah, fingers crossed. It's going to be a great day. Emirates Cup is always a fantastic event. Uh, it's a great social event for uh, for fans and things like that. So, 
yeah, fingers crossed. Uh, Cody says, Tom, who do you think will have the biggest improvement next season? I think Aston Villa will be pushing hard and have a chance for top six. Uh, I think Villa will be good. What I would say is that they finished, obviously, seventh, I think it was, last season. So how much of an improvement they can make in terms of positions up the table is is not loads. I think that maybe Bournemouth are a team to look out for next season. They've brought in a very good manager in Iola who did fantastic things in Spain last season. And they finished... Uh, where did Bournemouth finish in the league last season uh, in 22-23? Bournemouth finished in 15th. So who knows? They might be able to push up to a top of the bottom half type thing. Who else finished low down? Forest, Everton, West Ham, Wolves, Chelsea, obviously. You know, Chelsea might make a big improvement um, because they finished 12th. It would be an easy answer to say Chelsea, I suppose, because they were so bad last season. So maybe they're the ones that will make the biggest improvement next season. Um, Check Perk says, are we in the dark a bit when it comes to current revenue slash reserves, etc.? Or is it fairly transparent? Well, the club do publish financial reports every single year, which you can read yourself. You know, you don't have to rely on uh, YouTubers or the likes of uh, the Swiss Ramble, who is absolutely excellent in what he does. You can actually go and access all of the financial files that the club publish on the club's website, if you find it. So um, I suppose you're not in the dark. It's just about the... We're not all financial experts, which is why I always go to somebody like Mike or read Swiss Ramble and things like that to get better insight into these financial matters because I'm just not well versed in these things. So whilst the information is certainly available, we might be more in the dark just because our understanding of the numbers is is not up there with some of the people that that do this for a living. Uh, Stephen says, is Xhaka leaving and the issues in the midfield show how important Xhaka was? I can't see a similar type player of this in the squad now that includes Declan Rice as well. Shaka was always going to be an important loss. It was always going to be a challenge to replace him. It was a necessary replacement. We had to evolve from Xhaka at some point at his age. Um, I would have liked to see him stay this year personally, but we had to see that evolution from Granite Xhaka. And we are hopefully going to see that this season. But uh, it's a massive, massive loss. And I think we're feeling that now. Uh, Monkey Varys says, Twitter. I think you mean X. I'm just going to keep calling it Twitter for now. You know, I... Yeah, the less said about kind of the chaos that goes on on social media these days, the better, I think. Um, Trevor says, I did hear that the bunting is out in Chatham today for Penny Ween's birthday. (laughs) Uh, Marcus, thank you for the donation. Happy uh, 21st-ish to the legend that is Penny Ween. Absolutely. Um, Lucas says, Tom, do you think Arsenal will bring anyone in before the end of the window? And if so, who? I think we will. I think we're not done. I think that there's a chance that we might bring in a forward player um, who can play in a wide area. I think that that's certainly something that we could see, Lucas, between now and the end of the window. So, no, I don't think that we're finished. Uh, I think it's positive in that sense. Uh, Abbe asked a question about Granite as well. Do you think that with Granite leaving, the team lacks the aggressive nature, as I don't see anyone with the nature similar to his in the squad? I think Rice brings plenty of aggressiveness uh, to the team. I think we've got lots of aggressive players, especially in terms of pressing. Jesus, Zinchenko, uh, Odegaard's really aggressive players, Saliba, Ben White, Gabriel is an aggressive player. I think we've got lots of aggression in the team. It's always about how you apply aggression. You know, there's always a little bit of the old English, you know, if we get kicked, kick them back. But it's also about the application, about how you use your aggression in certain games as well in the right way. Um, Carl says, Tom, you said the Xhaka role. It's because I was talking about Xhaka. <laughs> Xhaka plays the Xhaka role. 
It's how it works. It's how it works. Uh, Christopher says, who would you prefer, Elise or Kudus? Uh, I prefer Kudus, personally. I think he fits into what we are doing more, and I think he better competes with Saka and also can play as an attacking midfielder or even as a centre-forward. So I prefer Kudus, who's already played at a Champions League level, played at a really good World Cup level as well. I think he's more established. I know that Elise has got the Premier League experience, but... I think at a higher level, we've seen more from, from Kudus as a player as well. Um, D says, isn't the Balogun conversation being blown out of proportion? He could be learning something new. Martinelli a few seasons ago did the same. It wasn't seen for a while and came back firing. Martinelli was more injured, though, to be fair. And Martinelli has done training around the centre-forward position, but it was with others. Um, I don't think it's being blown out of proportion in the sense of kind of the, the disappointment. I think that's the word. The disappointment of Balogun not getting a chance as much as maybe we would have liked to have seen. But if he's come back and not responded in the right way, that is also something that should be certainly taken into account as well. Uh, Mike from Perth says, are the Ferran Torres links real? Quick check on Ferran Torres to Arsenal. Um, not seeing too many big accounts. Um, Arsenal reportedly remain interested in signing Barcelona star Ferran Torres, according to 90 Min. Uh, let's have a look if we can find the bit in 90 Min. Arsenal have also been in the market for a wide player this summer with likes of Ferran Torres making their shortlist along with Elise. As things stand, however, 90 Min confirmed that Chelsea are most confident of getting a deal done for the talented attacking midfielder, being Elise. And that is large part thanks to the fact the club already have a relationship with the Elise family as Michael's younger brother. Richard Elise is currently on the books at Stamford Bridge. He has a £35 million release clause. Um, so Ferran Torres has been a player that's been linked with Arsenal before. I think that's probably why you're seeing that name mentioned. Arsenal did have an interest in him significantly last summer in 2022. That interest persisted into 2023's January window, but nothing really happened because we signed Trossard. And I'm sure that there is an interest still in the player, but he's always been keen to stay at Barcelona as Ferran Torres. He's never really shown that desire to leave Barcelona. So I'm not sure if there's likelihood that Ferran Torres will happen at the moment. Things can change, but Kudus, I think, is the more likely uh, option in that forward line right now. Boss says, hey, Tom, are you worried about the season due to the United game? No, not really. Um, I don't put loads of weight on preseason. It's always great to win games and, and build some momentum but it's important that you learn things if you win games you know if you win games hand over fist in preseason, yes it can build momentum but also maybe you don't learn the things that need to be learned maybe if you have these defeats in preseason, you have these dropped points if there were points on offer um and you aren't able to win and it highlights the vulnerabilities maybe that's better maybe it's better to lose games in preseason because you learn things arsenal infamously I don't think won a single game in preseason before they went unbeaten in the 03-04 season. I think you learn things in preseason by losing, and I'd rather lose these games now than have that problem arise in the season. So I think maybe actually losing games in preseason can be a really good thing. Uh, it helps you learn, it helps you develop, it helps you understand, helps the manager understand what needs to change for the future. Um, Benji says, Tom, I've been torn. I'm seeing people say Tini has been underwhelming this preseason, but at the same time, a lot of people are saying that he's almost back on form. What's the truth? The truth is that I think he's done very well. I don't really know why there would be a perception of him being underwhelming. I think he's done well this preseason. I think he's been amazing, but I think there's been real promise in what we've seen from him. I think, especially when he plays with Timber, I think we've started to see him play the more traditional style that he, he joined as and played in that style. So 
I I don't know why people would say he's been underwhelming. I think he's been pretty darn decent. Uh, you know, not eye-watering, eye-wateringly brilliant, but I think he's been very decent indeed. Um, let's go to uh, GQ says irresponsible reporting. Uh, Re Balogun, Tom. Do we think that there's been irresponsible reporting? On Balogun, I mean, it's speculation right now. All we can do is speculate about what's going on ultimately with the player. Um, what we can go off of is, is, is his words in those in those interviews that he's done, which I didn't particularly like in certain aspects, in particular, like some of the words he used in those press in those pressers, uh, in those mix zone uh, parts. I wasn't a big fan of them. And the fact he's training on his own, it's, you know, the, the likelihood is, is that it's not a good thing. I, I think most times when players are training on their own and you're not aware of an injury issue, it doesn't tend out to be too great. But there's always the chance that it is absolutely fine. And we have to absolutely take that into account as well. Uh, Boss says, uh, yo, Tom, let's say Balogun bangs in a hat-trick against Barcelona. That plays sick. Would he still not be the second striker behind Jesus? Probably not. No. <laughs> Um, one game's not going to change Arteta's mind. Uh, one game is never enough to change too much. It can change some things, but certainly not change too much. Uh, AJM says, Granit Xhaka was not a good player for us. He had one good season out of seven. The only records he has for us were most red cards and most mistakes leading to goals by an outfield player. He cost us in the Champions League twice. Um, I don't... I don't think so. Uh, I mean, I'm going to double check it, but I don't think that's the case at all. Uh, he joined Arsenal in 2016, uh, did play two seasons of Champions League. I'm trying to see why it would be that he cost in the Champions League. I'd love you to tell me, AJM, why he cost us in the Champions League. Um, cost us some qualifying, uh, apparently. I think Granit Xhaka was a very good player for Arsenal. I think Granit Xhaka offered us lots. I think he continued to progress. I think he was used out of position quite a lot. And Arteta finally found his best position. But I don't think Granit, I don't think Arsene Wenger nor Unai Emery used him in the best way. And I think finally Arteta kind of last season used him in the best way. And if we maybe had have used him in his best position more so throughout his career, maybe he could have done more. He's not a DM um, you know, he's not a DM. Unfortunately, he was a player that, that sadly was never was never used out of that DM position for for too long. Was always used at the base of that midfield, and until we signed Partey, at least you know was always playing in that role. So it was kind of a frustration, I think. But to say that he was not a good player, I think, is incredibly harsh. Incredibly harsh. Uh, Diaz says, if Havertz is bad against Barcelona, can we start worrying? Again, I'm not worried about Havertz. I just have a couple of concerns, and it's going to take him time. If, you, if you're if you worried, if you're having judgments about Havertz now after what is just pre-season, I'd recommend to not. Uh, you know, I really would recommend to not. I think that from that perspective... He's, you have to consider the context of the arrival of Havertz, where he's come from, the years that he's had at Chelsea, and then consider what his potential is and what we can find in him. It's not going to change over one preseason, so let's wait and see what happens. Uh, Esmond says we need a quality right wing, centre forward, and left back. Um, we don't need a left back. We have Zinchenko, Tierney, Tomiyasu, Kivio. Three of which are currently fit. Zinchenko's close to fitness. We don't need a left back. It's ludicrous to suggest we should bring in a fifth left back. We've also got Lino Souza coming back as well. Um, 
just don't need another left back. Right wing and centre forward, if we bring in Kudus, he covers both those roles. So I think that adding Mohamed Kudus to the team would add great depth to both right wing and centre forward. So uh, that is what hopefully we will see happen between now and the end of the window. But we don't need another left back. Uh, D says, I actually think Balogun isn't going anywhere, but maybe be deployed differently from Nketiah and Jesus. Watch this space. We'll see. I don't agree. But watch this space. Uh, RRM says, I'd love to see Vlaovic here. So good at dropping deep link up, hold up and offers a proper target man option. And he's been that for Allegri uh, in his least creative side. Vlaovic, I'm not as keen on the guy. I mean, we talk about dropping deep link up play. Jesus is great at that and scored more league goals last season than Vlaovic and missed a third of the season due to injury. So I don't necessarily see Vlaovic as the answer for Arsenal at all. I think if you want height, we've kind of brought that in. I think Havertz will offer something if we want to use him as a target man somewhat. And Arteta even called him that in uh, in a press conference. I think that you've got Havertz to maybe come on the bench or you can move him up front and change the structure of the team. If you need to kind of go hell for leather and chuck balls into the box, I think you've got Havertz to provide that. So Vlahovic, uh, not for me. Not for me. I think that ship has sailed. Uh, Jacob says, Hi, Tom. Do you think Amario Kojbrudubri is ready to step up? Would you rather promote him or sign Kudus for 40 million? No, I don't think he's ready to step up. I think he's showing great promise. I think he's got a good uh, future ahead of him. But no, I don't think he's ready to step up. And I think it would be smarter to invest in Mohamed Kudus than to promote Amario Kojbrudubri right now. Uh, Vicky says, I agree. Xhaka wasn't good one season. Doesn't make up for throwing his shirt and swearing at us fans. So many fans uh, are such flip-flops and must want him out crying that he might leave. Vicky, again, I think we've touched on this before, Vicky. If your young child, or I think I think that the ch- his child had been born by this point. If your young child has received abuse, if your wife and family are getting abuse, day after day after day. And then in your own stadium, after, sure, a bad performance, sure, whatever, is then, as you walk off the field, booing you because you've had a bad day, which, you know, who who out of us haven't had bad days? We've had bad days. But if you're leaving the office and you're getting booed out of the office, you know, I don't think you're going to take that too great. But add to that the social side of things that he had suffered. You know, I don't condone what he did. But I absolutely understand why he did it. I don't begrudge him of it. I don't um, say that it was okay for what he did. But I absolutely understand what it was. And if you haven't moved on from that by now, I don't ever ever expect you to. Um, But he turned his career around at Arsenal and, you know, delivered for us last season uh, and certainly delivered for us in the last two seasons, actually, and was key in, in helping Arsenal progress. Um, and really, really key in helping Arsenal progress. But if you're not over that now, of him swearing back when he was being sweared at and his family was getting abused, you never will be over that. But yeah, you've told me now. So, you know, I think we've kind of covered the Xhaka stuff in in a lot of detail. Um, I appreciate what Xhaka did. I think he was misused. And I think that led to some underwhelming seasons. and, uh, And I think that ultimately... He ended his time at Arsenal on a really big high. And uh, I will remember him for that. And I won't remember him for what happened before because I think he certainly made up uh, I think, and turned things around. And I think the majority of supporters see that and appreciate that and sing his name and sung his name 
at those games, plenty of games across the season because they had moved on. But, you know, the abuse that he and his family suffered, I, I completely understand his reaction. So if that's being held against him, I think it's probably because you've never been in the situation where hundreds and thousands of people are sending abuse to your young child and family. So, yeah, I, I'm never going to begrudge him of, of that reaction because I, I, I just can't blame him for it. I just can't blame him. I don't think it's right what he did, but I can't blame him. I just can't. Um, let's go for um, Martin says, did you see uh, that Harry doesn't believe Rice Havertz Odegaard will work and he's destined to fail? Did Harry say it was destined to fail, mine? I saw that his um, preferred lineup on uh, Bleacher Report was Rice and Partey. And, you know, I have no issues with that at all. I think that that's an absolutely fine uh, midfield three and against certain teams I would go for that I'd even be tempted to start the season with Rice and Partey just to go in the season with a little bit of more you know security and foundation I have no issue with that at all um, but destined to fail I think that's harsh but that if you're misquoting him he's not going to be happy so I'll have to speak with him if he said it's destined to fail then I disagree right now and I can't come up with that view right now um but uh yeah i'll have words <laughs> i'll have words so there you go uh derek says tom sky sports claim arsenal are concentrating on sales we are uh we will struggle to get rid of holding cedric pepe and i would move on eddie i think we are going to struggle to move some players and i think some of them are going to be moved on towards the end of the window um but we are still working on incomings there are you know, we are able to multitask. We can do more things than once. You know, we were working on the Rice deal and Xhaka's exit simultaneously as well. And sometimes it gets to a point where you have to put more resources into one move than others, be it in or out. Um, but yeah, there is a big focus on outgoings, but there's also work being done on potential incoming still as well. And I think one more is 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 what we should be minimum looking to try and get, depending on who leaves. So yeah, if we end the season with Kudus, Rice, uh, Havertz and uh, and Timber and have, have kept Partey, you know, have, have kept Tierney. I'm going to be very happy. Uh, very, very happy indeed. Um, D says, trust the process, guys. We are developing and getting better unless we are losing competitive matches for now. View friendlies for what they are. Friendlies. What I also think is going to be interesting about next season, I think it's going to be intriguing how Man City are. You know, I think Arsenal are capable of getting a similar points tally, if not maybe slightly more, depending on how things go and how quickly this team, you know, adjusts to its new look form next season. Um, but I'm intrigued to see how efficient Man City are having lost a number of key kind of players in their team, integrating players like Kovacic and Gravadiol and seeing how that happens and how that translates. Um, I'm, I'm interested to see kind of, I think it's going to be a more competitive um kind of situation as well and i think this is going to be a very competitive season in which teams like man city maybe lose more games which i think in turn will show us maybe dropping more points so even though know we get a similar points tally i don't really look at the points tally as the progression i look at more kind of where we are in relation to the top of the league come the end of the season that's why i think when people say we finished eighth eighth fifth those are positions in the table sure but when you look at the gap between where we were and what our target was it was really minimal you know, missing out on the top four by one or two points, missing out on the top four by like three. We finished eighth and I think we were in like five points of fourth place, I think one of those seasons. So it's always for me about kind of in relation to where you are. I hope we close the gap to City this season. That's what I'm looking at as the expectation. We've got to try and close the gap as much as we can so we can try and overtake them if it's e even possible. 
But the target absolutely is trying. The aim is to win trophies, without a doubt, always. But the target, the expectation of that target is to see if we can get closer to City and get and close that gap even more so than we did before. Uh, Esmond says, man, people not sh no, people do not know the importance of Xhaka. Imagine yourself in Xhaka's shoes. If it was you that was abused, uh, you would be doing the same. Stop being hypocrites. This is annoying. Uh, I know if it's about hip hypocrisy is difficult to kind of con quantify when people don't know what it's like to be in that position. So describing someone as a hypocrite, I understand where the sentiment comes from. But I think it can be slightly harsh. That's why I have, you know, I have empathy from people's perspective. They're annoyed with Xhaka. I kind of say to them, if you're annoyed at him still now, I don't think you're ever going to see the other side of the argument. It's been too long and you've still not seen it. So I think it's probably just best to move on. I don't necessarily think it's hypocr hypocrisy. I think it's a lack of empathy uh, and a lack of objective thought around what Xhaka went through in that period. And then a bit of ignorance around in the last couple of years as well. So that's kind of where my head's at with kind of those that are still very critical of, of Granite Xhaka. He's gone. It's time to move on um, from that. Uh, let's go to... Um, b -b 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 Martin says, maybe that's my interpretation of his words, not a direct quote. I can't recall his exact words, he said something along the lines of Havertz is not an eight. And he's right. Havertz is not an eight. He's also not playing as an eight, in my opinion. That's not the role that he's being asked to do. In my opinion, we're playing with a six when we play this type of formation in Rice or Partey. And then we play with two tens. I think we're playing with two tens. Uh, you can call it an eight ten if you like. But I look at Havertz and Odegaard as tens. And I think they're playing alongside one another as tens in wide positions. Uh, wide central midfield positions. That's what I think. I think they're occupying those two half spaces, either side of the central space where the striker is, and then they will move into that central space. They'll rarely, I don't think, occupy kind of the really wide areas. I think their main heat maps will show they'll occupy those half spaces and they'll move towards the central space and supporting the striker. So I don't look at Havertz as an eight because he's not. And if Harry said he's not an eight, Harry's right. He's not an eight. For me, we have two tens, and we're playing with two tens in front of that six. Um, Mikey says, hypocrisy, lack of empathy, and ignorance. <laughs> Low, high five, Tom. I, I think that it is a lack of empathy and, and to a degree, some ignorance. I think it absolutely is. Um, Clive says, why is the Balogun discussion related to attitude? Surely it's more protecting an asset about to be sold. Um yeah, let's flip the coin. Let's flip the coin and look at the other side of the argument. So Ballingan's training alone because they don't want to risk injury about a potential massive sale. Fair theory, fair hypothesis. As I say, I look forward to Arteta's discussion a little bit later on in the press conference. I think that's when we're going to get the answer because all we've got right now is speculation. And I think there's two sides of the coin. Clive highlights one side, which is maybe we're just protecting him because he could be sold. The other side of the coin is as we have seen with other players when training alone, surprisingly, it's a disciplinary issue or it's an attitude issue. So let's see. Um, let's see which one it is. I hope that it's the uh, the former and it's the, the protecting him for a sale. I think that people, maybe Clive, have thought it's more towards the attitude because of some of his comments over this preseason period um, that people haven't taken too well to. I being one of those people didn't particularly appreciate some of those comments. I think they were very clever. But um, let's see. Let's see. Uh, it's created plenty of discussion. Um, so let's see which side of the coin 
it ends up being. Uh, Ray Beam says, TC, do you think the various oil merchants will destroy football for the pl- uh, or the planet first? Um, I mean, surely football has to go before the planet goes, uh, unless it's simultaneous, I guess. Maybe it was simultaneous. If he says exactly, it's like two tens. Do you think Trossard is also playing? Yes, I think he would be, you know, playing where Havertz plays. I think it's like Erdegaard and Smith Rowe and Vieira and Havertz and um, Havertz and Trossard. I think they are your options, you know. And then you've got Rice, Partey, Jorginho. But then you can change the structure and you could go Rice and Jorginho or Rice and Partey and Erdegaard and Rice and Jorginho. Yeah, we've got options and that's great. I love the fact that we've got options. It's a really great place to be is when you've got loads of options at the club. That's what you want to have. AFC Keep Town says, Arteta is never going to give us the answer. He might not give us the full truth, but what he sometimes does, especially for disciplinary issues, if that is indeed what this is, which we don't know, um, is he usually does say whether it is. So let's... Let's see. Maybe it's not even in the club's interest to say it's a disciplinary thing if it was, because if they're trying to sell him, that doesn't look too great either. So it's also worth bearing that in mind as well. Uh, Maya says, would we see better if Havertz plays in the Odegaard position and maybe Rice plays behind Partey? Um, Or rather, Rice and Partey play behind. It's something I'm intrigued to see if Havertz, if you wanted to rest Odegaard, play Havertz behind the striker, uh, and have two DMs and play a 4-2-3-1 uh, rather than a 4-3-3. Maybe that's what we should do. Um, but let's, yeah, let's see if that turns out to be the reason, uh, or not the reason, the uh, the possibility to get the best from Partey. Uh, Partey, Havertz. Um, Thomas says, I hear that Balogun is being disciplined because he said that Arteta's hair looks stupid. And Mikel went off like Ron Burgundy. <laughs> is that true? It's a theory. You know, all we can do is speculate. All we could do is speculate. But I'd put some good money on it not being true. Uh, Nathan says, Balogun should have put his head down and tried to stake his claim for a starting place during preseason. All it would have had, uh, all it would have took is an injury to Jesus and he'd have been in. Look, what I would say is there's no, there's no evidence that he's not done that. There is no evidence at all that he's not trained hard. There's no evidence that he's not put his head down. All we've got is a comment from Balogun, which wasn't great, which was like, I I don't want to misquote him. Let's see what Balogun actually said. Balogun, uh, he said extra, yeah. Here we go. Where is it? I think with me coming back, it's not really much of a situation where I think I need to try extra hard to prove something. I think it's a decision that's not really with me. Whatever happens, I'm cool with it. So the words where he said, it's not really much of a situation where I think I need to try extra hard to prove something. Those words, I think, hit people, and me included, you know, a little bit on the wrong side. And maybe it's a misinterpretation. I agree with him that it's not really up to him. I think that's become evident um, by the fact that Arteta has really limited his minutes. When I was on with Arsblog um, on, uh, I think it was last week, and Andrew said that, His theory was around maybe we're testing him a bit in the Nuremberg game by not giving him a full half and seeing how he responds, um, which I think is a fair theory. Um, I don't think there's any evidence to say that he's not put his head down yet. If we find out that there has been, who knows? But at this moment in time, to say that Balogun categorically should have put his head down in training and tried to stake a claim for a starting place during preseason, you can't say that because we don't know. You know, we don't know if that's 
the situation. So, and it's dangerous as well, I think, sometimes to just say things as facts when in reality it's just it's just theory right now. I have loads of discussions with people in comment sections on these videos where saying things like Zinchenko can't defend as an example, right? So using kind of uh, that definitive statement, Zinchenko can't defend. Now we all know that that statement's not true. Zinchenko can defend. And actually at the start of the season, we had a really good record defensively when Zinchenko was starting games. Zinchenko is not as good a defender at left-back as Kieran Tierney would be a better and more accurate and fair statement. You know, at defending, Zinchenko is not as good as what Kieran Tierney is. So when we say things like Zinchenko can't defend, it creates this kind of reality. Like I was looking at, um, I had a really good discussion yesterday on X, if you want to call it that. Uh, (laughs) I had a really good discussion on Twitter yesterday uh, about the Mbappe situation, which is actually something that we've not talked about at all um, today whatsoever. I also had a good discussion about the ticketing situation. Uh, a guy called James uh, Vega or Vega at Guna Vega uh, on Twitter uh, tweeted saying, "Just had our AGM with our supporters club. Just been told Arsenal have stripped all of their away tickets along with uh, several others." I've averaged 15-plus away games for the last 15 years now, and I have zero chance. Arsenal, you should show no loyalty. Arsenal, you show no loyalty and are a disgrace. Now, FK uh, replied saying, James, seeing a lot of this on the timeline, what's the reason for them doing this? What have they said? And James says, the reason seems simple. Arsenal want to give those paying more money the opportunity to get tickets. If you have a diamond club, club level, etc., a better opportunity to get away tickets, keep the rich happy. Loyalty means nothing. FK asked the fair question: Is that factual? What are the what are they communicating as the reason for taking these away from supporter groups? And James says they aren't giving a reason. Quite simply, because they don't have to. It's leaving me a bitter taste. So, at that point, I realised in that discussion that when it was suggested Arsenal want to give those paying more money the opportunity to get tickets, like this is a, I thought, wow, that's horrific if that's true. But when asked if that was factual, it turned out the club hasn't given a reason yet. But that not giving a reason has created this space for speculation um, to kind of come up with maybe a reason as to why. And then it's begun being stated as fact. So I said, until we have a reason, it's dangerous to make the suggestions regarding making it easier for those in the Diamond Club, etc. to get them. This is an important issue, though, and only facts will help get the clear picture. Hopefully there's some clarity coming soon. And James replied saying, pretty sure I saw it advertised. That's why I worked there briefly and read it on a Diamond Club package for opportunities for away games. Maybe I'm wrong, but sure, that's what I said. Uh, I'm sure that's what it said. And I said, I'd love to see it if it's true, and I would happily hold my hands up if that in case is is indeed the case to which I haven't received a reply in the last 11 hours. So I don't know if it's true. And it's these types of scenarios where things are stated as fact, which create euphoria or create hyperbole or create kind of dissonance towards the club in situations that we don't even know if they're true. There was another discussion I had yesterday on social media talking about the Mbappe situation. I know a lot of people have been saying like football is dead. It's been a kind of a terminology that's used in regards to the Al-Hilal bids of around 300 million euros to PSG to try and sign Mbappe. And I tweeted saying football isn't dead and it never will be. Honestly, this sport has had more predicted ends than Earth itself. Um, Relating to films like 2012, for instance, or the new Oppenheimer film that's come out. Um, 
And uh, a guy called Ben Smith, who's a Manchester United fan, uh, quoted it saying, football as you know it is dead. When a state can put unimaginable amounts of money on the table just to loan a player for a year who's a generational talent, you know it's up. To which I said, it was said that football was dead when China's money came in. And it was said that football was dead when Russia's money came in. And it was said that when the UAE bought Manchester City or when the Russians took over Chelsea, it was also dead. But in reality, football hasn't died. Football has changed, that's for sure. Financially, football has changed significantly. We know that. But football isn't dead. And I still watch it with great intrigue and excitement. And last season, without having, quote-unquote, oil money at Arsenal, you know, we had a very good season still and very nearly came to breaking our 20-year absence from a Premier League, 19-year absence from a Premier League trophy. Uh, to which Ben replied saying, and during those spells, how many of the absolute elite or top level talents went to those teams at their peaks? And I said, the absolute elite as kind of a, a description is a subjective term. And no one of that absolute elite level, in my opinion, has actually joined a Saudi club yet. Kylian Mbappe would be the first player, in my opinion, of an absolute elite level to move. There has been some very good players moved to Saudi Arabia. You know, Sergei Milinkovic-Savic, Riyad Mahrez, I think, has gone. Um, Ruben Neves is of a good level. Uh, Koulibaly is of a good level. Uh, there's been plenty of players. Ronaldo, obviously, but way past his kind of, you know, prime years, if you like. And I wouldn't describe... I, I look at the Ronaldo move to Saudi and I go, that's kind of similar to, you know, when players started moving to the MLS towards the end of their career. It's kind of that. And I don't look at the MLS as a big threat. You know, either. Um, I don't think there has been an absolute elite level move. Mbappe would be that, and that has not happened yet. And I think that's important. But, you know, there was lots of players that moved during their, what I would describe as either prime years or before their prime years, moved to Russia or China. I think you think of Samueletto, Willian, Lasana Diara moving to Angie. Do you remember Angie with the club back in kind of the early 2010s? Had a lot of money in Russia, started to buy up clubs. Uh, Zenit at a period of time bought in the likes of Hulk, Axel Witzel, Javi Garcia, um, Paredes, China brought in players like Oscar, Paulinho, Jackson Martinez. If you remember him, he's 27 till he's 28. Uh, Tejera, Pella, Ramirez, Tevez, Arnautovic, uh, Yannick Carrasco. Um, and plenty more as well. You know, these guys went over um, and were of the, you know, of a really good level. But I wouldn't describe them at the elite level. Benzema and Kante have gone to Saudi Arabia, an age bracket that is what I would describe as no longer, you know, they're not in their prime. It's not like a Kylian Mbappe style signing. You're seeing Kante who's well past his best years. Benzema, who has proven really good in his mid-30s as well. But, you know, he's starting moving towards you know, that period of his career where it's going to come to an end soon as well. It's not like we're talking about a 28 to 31, 32-year-old Benzema here. Um, he's moved to that next step. You know, he's moving to the next step of his career, which is not, you know, the absolute... Let's change the focus of the camera. Come on, focus on me. Hello. There, I'm out of focus. There we go. There we go. He's working. Um, <laughs> it's really frustrating. I feel like Casey Neistat trying to do that. Um and those players moving, you know, uh, Malcolm, who ironically, Haroon, where has Malcolm moved from um, to Saudi? He's moved from Zenit, <laughs> you know, to Saudi, which is the irony of that being used as an example here. 
is, is all you need to know. But at this moment in time, Saudi Arabia are yet, in my opinion, to sign a player that is in their absolute peak, you know, is, is in their absolute prime, prime years, and that their move to Saudi Arabia is a signal that these players that are of a world-class level are moving during and for the best years of their career, which Kylian Mbappe, if that deal happened, would represent, you know, would represent. So I think that until that happens, until Saudi begin to sign players that are like Mbappe, that are being chased by other big European clubs and beat them, you know, think of Moussa Diaby, right, for instance, as a great example. Moussa Diaby, 22, 23 years of age, was chased by Al Nasser, given a massive offer as a contract at 22, 23. Aston Villa beat Al Nasser to that signing. Aston Villa signed Moussa Diaby. And I think that that is a great example. Ruben Neves, Thomas says, well, Neves didn't have any offers to my understanding. I think Barcelona were interested in Ruben Neves, but could never ever afford what the ultimate asking price of the player and of Wolves was and what turned out to be. So it's not the same, you know, it's it's a different example. And I think that when it comes down to the Mbappe deal, if that happens and he moves to Saudi for a year, I'll hold my hands up and I'll say, world's gone mad. <laughs> um, but there's also this element of, for me, with the Saudi side of things, is there's nothing stopping these clubs from investing this amount of money. You know, in UEFA, we've got FFP. In the leagues we've got, we've got FFP. And I know people take the mick out of FFP and say, does it really exist? But it would exist if indeed clubs in the Premier League or in Europe started doing things like this offer for for, uh, for Mbappe. If a club did that and offered 700 million euros on a contract and 300 million euros to the club and a billion euro deal, you know, you could be sure FFP are getting involved, but they don't have that. And while there's no restrictions on their spending, they can do what they like. And I can't begrudge players necessarily of, you know, life-changing money. We talk about footballers and they're already really rich. Why do they need more money? I think that's probably because it comes from a place in our perspective where we don't know. Like we don't know what it's like having a hundred grand a week and going up to 600 grand a week. You know, what does that change about your life? I don't know. I'll probably never know. I'd love to be able to know. Um, but the likelihood is I never will know. And I suppose that we don't know that difference. And it is going to set them up. Football is a short career. And it sets not just them up, but their family and their family's family and their family's family's family. You know, so it's something to consider. Um, and I think that whilst there's no restrictions, and I don't expect there to really be restrictions, to be honest, because it's within FIFA's rhetoric. It's FIFA's kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's in their interest to have a competitive Saudi Arabian league. It's within their interest for a Qatari league to be competitive. It's within their interest for globally clubs outside of Europe to be competitive because their, their next tactic is expanding the club world cup. And that's already in motion. And we are going to see an expansion of the club world cup. And so it is in their interest to have competitive teams in other continents. So why would they place restrictions on these clubs? Why would they do that? They have no, you know, there's there's no benefit for FIFA 
to put restrictions on these clubs at all because they're going to want those teams to be more competitive. You know, and from our perspective as an as, as an Arsenal fan, we're a team in Europe that can't compete financially with these clubs. And who knows, one day might see us lose key players or we lose out on a key target to a Saudi side or a Qatari side. You know, we're going to look at that and uh, and be frustrated. But uh, until there's the same level of restrictions on everybody, they're not acting outside of, you know, what they're not being allowed to do. What I would say is, is that the Alan St. Maximan thing, that's a that's a question mark. That's something I hope does get investigated because thirty million pounds going from a Saudi team to a club that is owned by Saudi investment investors and PIF, I think it's called. Um, he's not worth thirty million pounds. That's not his market value. That's not what you would see clubs pay for him. There, there's a question mark. There's a question mark there. You know, I'd love some clarity on that. I'd love some. I'd love that to be investigated just to see what's if that's a problem, if that's going to become a problem. Because for me, and I think for most people, I don't know who's paying £30 million realistically in this market for Alan Samaxaman, a player that's been mostly injured, has probably not really improved loads since arriving, um, that he's suddenly worth that amount of money with the length of time left on his contract as well. So, yeah, I think that's that's one where there's a question mark for sure. So, yeah, there you go. There's my thoughts on the Mbappe thing uh, and another rant for you. Anyway, I've been going for nearly an hour, which means I need to wrap things up so I can get this out. Otherwise, I'm going to be keeping those people that do the audio stuff waiting. Um, but thank you for listening, everybody. Really appreciate it, as always. Do drop a like on the video. Subscribe to the channel. As always, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, you can get tickets for our live event in London on Sunday, the 13th of August at the Mould May Club. I'll be joined by... Harry Simu, FK, Mike Feinberg and Bailey Keogh from four fantastic YouTube channels uh, to talk about Arsenal, to talk about the game the day before against Nottingham Forest and, of course, any latest transfers as well. Link to buy tickets for that event is in the video description. Thank you. Um, really appreciate your time. Uh, I will see you on the next one. Have a fantastic day. I'll see you in an hour's time on the Arsenal way. But have a fantastic day and uh, stay safe, stay well. And as always, um, up the Arsenal. It's the 90 plus minute. All your mates around and you've got a McNuggets share box ready to go and you know a late winner's coming. Your mates already got booked for a double dip in and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfection. Order now on the McDonald's app for your delivery. You in? At participating restaurants 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.